Hey, this is Jared Krause, host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast. And in this episode, I'm speaking with Stephen Summers, who's the co-founder of Marketplace Superheroes, where they've sold millions of dollars of products globally on Amazon in multiple niches without any outside funding. And in this podcast episode, Stephen and I specifically talk about how and why you need to get financed to scale your Amazon business. We also talk about the three statuses of products and why it's important to understand each stage that your product may be at and how you can use that as leverage to grow your business. Then we talk about what to spend your budget on in relation to how much stock you should buy and then how much should you put into marketing. And then we talk about mindset and it's easy to have a good mindset when things are going really, really well, but it's a lot harder when things aren't going so well. And a few things that you can do to make sure you put yourself in a great mental state to continue growing your business and have more fulfillment and fun in your business. Now, this is going to be such a valuable episode that you are certainly going to want to listen to. So check it out. Today's episode is brought to us by Niche Website Builders, which is a company a few of my clients are using and have used for content creation and link building services. They do everything from start to finish, so from keyword research all the way to uploading your completed article for you. We've also had Bob members buy ready-made affiliate sites built by Niche Website Builders. So if you're looking to outrank your competitors' content and build better backlinks, Niche Website Builders and I have a special deal for you. Head to nichewebsite.build forward slash Bob. I'll put a link in the show notes for you. But again, that's www.nichewebsite.builders forward slash Bob. Do you want to start investing in websites, but don't want to drop $20,000 or more on your first investment? Check out Odis, where you can buy premium age domains to build a website on and add Odis done for you affiliate site package to help you grow your website and get seen. Instead of buying a crummy website that's been built to sell with no authority, buy a premium domain with built-in authority, great SEO, and fresh quality content for your website. Head to odys.link forward slash Bob podcast to check out their great deals. That's odys.link forward slash B-O-B podcast. Link will be in the description too. Stephen, what's up? Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me here. It's great to speak to someone from your part of the world. I don't often get to do podcasts with people like yourself, so I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, likewise. We don't have too many people from UK on the pod, which is going to be fun to talk about Amazon with you today. Now, I just wanted to jump into the gold on this podcast. We don't do fluff. We just get straight into the good stuff. So I wanted to just talk about your philosophy on expanding an Amazon business into new markets because some people may have an Amazon business and they're probably focused on just, you know, US, but there's so much more that can be done in in scaling into other audiences and other markets. So tell us a little bit about your philosophy of how to sort of – transition into being diversified in different markets yeah so it's really true that a lot of times when it comes to selling on amazon people do just go with say amazon.com for example 
But yeah, like there's the Amazon market has grown so much even since I started. Like I started selling on Amazon 11 years ago and successfully selling not for 11 years. It took me about a, a year and a bit to learn and do all the stuff I did with Robert and everything else, which we can, which we can mention. But in that time when I've been selling for actively selling for like over 10 years yeah. now successfully, the growth has been huge. You know, like initially we actually went from the UK to the US. We added that market in. Then we went from UK into Europe then. Weirdly, we went to the US first because European markets were not very well established. And obviously, there's been people who have not expanded into Europe because of things like Brexit. They might have been in the UK and selling in other countries from the UK, and that's changed. But long and short of it is Europe, North America, and and the UK are massive markets. And obviously, now we've had Australia come into the market in the last uh, year and a bit. We've had over in Asia as well, Singapore, places like that. So if you're going to be serious about selling your products on a site like Amazon, it really makes sense to take as much advantage as possible of everything that you have available to you. We're big believers on that. Right now, we focus our business on North America, so US and Canada, Europe being the UK, and then we also send our stock to Germany. It's held in stock in Germany as well, and that enables us to sell in all the European countries, and Amazon actually ship out to each individual customer from Germany. It used to be from the UK, but obviously when Brexit came in there, we've had to move our stock over to Germany for the European sales. We obviously sell in Australia as well, so there are partners. I mentioned Canada also, I think I did, but if not, Canada as well. So they're like the main markets that we focus our attention on at the moment. But as the years go on, places like Sweden are coming in, so they'll likely be taken care of via Germany. And it's just growing all the time. So it's a humongous market. And when you consider a 50% of all sales made online right now are made on Amazon, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and so how do you decide how much inventory or stock you should purchase and put into a new warehouse so let's say for example you know you're in the uk and you're like let's let's tap into the us how do you know how much to buy at the start and then work out like how to slowly scale that so you don't get to a position like oh, i run out of capital to even buy more products this is a huge thing when it comes to scaling an e-commerce business right and i've noticed that you've you've been able mm. to scale without using funding so is there some sort of formula that you use to know how to how much stock to buy when you're coming into a, a new market new territory and then mm. also how to scale mm. that without running out of capital really quickly <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think the first thing is the way I would look, we look at it now. So we have things available to us a lot of people don't. But if you're a member of our program and our community, you do get access to it. And that is our freight company. That's been a real game changer for people. So we run a business called Superhero Freight. Or it's important I mention this because it actually just helps unlock these other countries. So what we do there is we put on containers from China and they go to North America, they go to Europe, they go to Australia. And it allows people to take a, a batch of products. So if they get 1,000 units produced, 500 units produced, and when they're initially testing a country, they can split that order up in China and they can use our freight service to ship their products to those different markets to initially test them. And the way we usually split that up would be we send the bulk of our inventory to North America. It's the biggest marketplace. Then we would, so we'd send, let's say, 60% there. You would send them about... 30% to Europe and then literally like about 10% to likes of Australia and places like that. Now, it doesn't work out obviously as 
beautifully and easily is that because if you only have 300 units you know you're not going to send 30 units to australia that, that, that would make a lot of sense so it's it really cases though of just kind of looking at north america being the biggest market then europe then you test the smaller markets australia for example a lot of people are really obsessed with what happens on australia and it is an interesting market but it's still like people don't realize like australia is obviously a big land mass but actually population wise it's not as big as people might think it is, you know, and I think that's the thing. It's like Europe is a much bigger opportunity than, say, Australia, for example. But because Australia is new, a lot of people really have become very focused on that. But it's not, I'm not saying it's not a good market now. We've had success there, but really it's always North America, Europe, et cetera. Now, in terms of then uh, your question about, well, capital yeah. and, and making sure you can stay in stock. Yeah, like that is definitely something that we've also changed our view on. And actually, just to put a bow on the other thing. That I wanted to make it clear the reason that the freight thing is important is twofold, actually. One, you can split up your orders. But two, Amazon have made changes over the last couple of years now where they brought in something called the IPI, the Inventory Performance Index, which basically just means that you can't just send in 2,000 units of something into their warehouse and they'll hold it in stock anymore. You have to send your stock to a pre-Amazon location and send in a smaller quantity in there. And we always knew that was coming. So if you don't have a likes of our service or a freight partner, you're going to be in trouble in that regard. And then when you get into multiple countries, you're starting to multiply your issues, which is why that freight company we have is such a cool partnership long-term with our clients. So coming around then to the, the capital question, we did build our business without outside capital, but actually, as the years have gone on, we realized that that was a real mistake. You know, we could have grown a lot faster and a lot easier had we have used capital. So now we talk to our members about and ourselves, you know, we still obviously sell on Amazon. We partner with a lot of our members now, help them grow their business by putting capital into their companies because, you know, capital is something that people, they run into issues because there's a two two reasons for that. The first reason is you can have a product that goes mental. Like we've got two guys, we were speaking only like last couple of weeks, Nadim and Alan in our community. These two guys, one, Nadim has a product that legitimately will do half a million, let's say dollars, just to keep the currencies easy, US dollars per year in revenue. And this guy's only getting into Amazon. So he's not, he's not really experienced. Alan, I think it was 300,000 for one item. So in order to place an order that's going to keep those guys in stock, you're getting into doing $60,000-ish of an order. So for some people, that is just not going to be something they can do. So at that point, we actually partner with those members and we help them invest. If they don't work with us, you need to go and work with a, an outside capital institution. The reason, I suppose... We didn't need it as much. It was that, number one, our most of our products did not go off like crazy, which we were very fortunate, actually, looking back now. So we were able to grow with time. I think, number two, whenever I started working with Robert initially, uh, he was a bit more experienced than, say, you know, someone who has no experience whatsoever. So we had a little bit of capital, and we were able to access capital by selling you know, stuff wholesale and stuff like that. But for most people coming in, they don't have that type of, not luxury, because we really, it really wasn't much of a luxury, because we were making very little when we were growing. We put everything we had into our company to grow fast. you know. So I think really the capital question for me, it becomes when you establish a product, I now would say as early as possible, actually, try and get that funded, the, the, the products that are working for you. Because if you can get it funded, you're making 100% return on investment every time you make a sale or close to it. So you're doubling your money. If you're able to go to a financial institution, for example, and they give you money 
and now you're paying, let's say, 10%, which would be very high, but let's say you're paying 10% to a traditional institution, well, you're still making 90. That's Homer Simpson mathematics now, but, you know, that's roughly what we're talking about. And you don't have to put any money out. Somebody else is funding that. So I think, like, that was, I would say, a mistake we made over the years. It actually made a lot of opportunity costs because we would have these really great winning products, and then we try bringing new ones, and then we'd start to put those products under pressure. Then we wouldn't have enough money to restock these ones. And at one point, we just got we just got smart, and we said, hey, what's driving our business here? Let's get them right first, and then let's move on to these ones. But I would say we've cost ourselves a couple of million in sales over the years by just not using outside capital, actually. Yeah, I, I picked up on what you said of the old entrepreneur you know, thing that we suffer from, that when something's working quite well, we just want to do like we just go, all right, cool, if I've cracked the code with selling this product, how about I just sell as many more products like this as I can, which is a massive curse because I've had people that come to me and say, yeah, I want to buy a business and if it's an e-com, I just want to add more products to the line. But it's ridiculous because you split your focus up too much. You should always focus on what's working and discard what's not working and double down on that on what's working. So, Stephen, you were saying that, you know, once somebody finds a winning product, it's really good to go away and get finance so we can buy more stock and selling more product. But for, say, somebody who buys an Amazon business, right, because we teach people how to buy online businesses, say they've just purchased one and they go, cool, I've just spent my capital on purchasing this business because it's got a winning product. Now I want to go away and get finance so I can buy more stock and scale this. What are our options to to getting finance for you know an Amazon business to scale it? Yeah, I mean it's like buying any company really. You know, you're buying the asset obviously, and then from there there's going to be running costs to take that asset and make the most from it. And I think that's the thing about an e-commerce business in general that people have got to be really aware of. Like an e-commerce business is a very money, a capital intensive business. It just is. But the beauty of an e-commerce business is because it's capital intensive and you're putting something out there that people can buy. It's a very scalable and a very big way. But certainly uh, when you buy an Amazon business, you got to be ready, especially a private label business that we're talking about. You've got to be ready to invest in the inventory. Now, obviously, if you've got a winning product, quote unquote, and it's working well for you and it's selling extremely well, well, the key then is going to be assessing the run rate of the product. So how many units is that product selling on an average day? Then you want to start looking at, well, how long does it take me to get that item produced in the likes of China? And then you obviously want to be looking at as well as that, how long does it take for me to get these items into stock? I mean, you start looking at those different elements. What you can start to see is, well, if I'm selling 10 a day of this item, let's just say basic mathematics, that will mean over a month, I'm going to sell 300 units. So if it takes me three months to get in stock, I'm going to need a minimum of 900 units just to stay in stock. And likely you're going to need more than that. So it's like you've, you've got to start calculating out everything I just talked about, those run rates, how long it takes to get into stock, and then start assessing, well, if I am selling this much a day, it takes this long to come in, how long do I have until I run out of stock? Because that's the trouble with buying Amazon businesses, especially if you're inexperienced. You've you got to be a little bit careful with that because we've sold products in the past, actually, to different people where 
it just made sense for us at the time. We felt like, yeah, we could sell this and people will go and do it. And why not? They're, they're a member. They're going to ship with us with the freight. We'll, we're happy enough to sell the product. So that we were a few years back, we'd started doing this. Now we don't anymore. Now we just invest in our members. It's just a much better way we found to, to grow. But when we did that, a couple of people bought stuff and they just did not keep it in stock because they had the thing you just said, oh, I've just put money into buying this thing. And then it's like, yeah, this has to now pay me forever or whatever. It's like, yeah, but you got to keep it in stock too. So so that is, I think, the, the trick to that. You have to be checking those run rates and then you've got to go and assess, do I have the capital or where can I get the capital? And I'd say if you buy an Amazon business and you haven't assessed those different things, you really shouldn't buy the business until you do that. And the business owner should be able to give you a real understanding of that. And also when you're buying a business, like you're probably going to buy a certain level of stock that, that comes with that company. So you obviously want to be looking at, well, how much stock do do I have when I buy it? How much do I need to order now? And the likelihood is going to be you're going to need to place an order as you're coming into that business. Because if you're not in stock in an e-commerce business, you can't make sales. And obviously, if you can't make sales, you can't make money, you can't grow the business, your your investment isn't going to be something that's going to work out. But the same would be said for any e-commerce business. So they would be the things you have to look at, Jared. Very, very important. Yeah, for sure. And so it's it's important to know we've got to have stock in. But say somebody has bought an Amazon business and they've bought it with stock and they know that how much they need. They know the questions that you've just asked before around, well, they know yeah. the answers to them of like, how much do we need? How long is it going to take to get there? How long is it going to take to produce? How long is it going to take to run out of stock? And they've got all that calculated. It's all worked out throughout the due diligence, which is yeah. what people should be asking when they're doing due diligence on the business. So what are the options for like, how do we get finance? Or where do we go to get finance to mm-hmm. purchase more stock? The bank is going to be the best place, you know, traditional financial institutions is going to be your best starting so like point. a line of credit, like a business line of credit? Yeah, yeah. Line of credit is, is one way to go. So you can certainly go on an overdraft facility. That's one way to go. And again, that's going to come down to you've got to do your cash flow projections. So you've got to be looking at how much money you're going to bring in. And that's the nice thing when you're when you're selling something that's already working on Amazon. You're going to be able mm. to get a very good you're going to be able to look out every two weeks or whoever after Amazon are paying that particular account. And you're going to start to project forward how many future sales you're expecting based upon the run rate that you're currently experiencing. And then you're going to be able Mm -hmm. to start to plot that out into your cash flow projections like every two weeks or whatever it is. This is how much money we expect to come in from these various income sources. Obviously, then you're going to understand the costs in that business as well. They're going to need to be plotted out on a future cash flow projection, which you can do in a spreadsheet. I mean, it can be as simple as that or it it can be more complex depending on what way you run these things. Obviously, that's vital. But then a traditional financial institution, yeah, you can start there. And if you get a line of credit, so that can be an overdraft facility, for example, well, you know, that can be very useful because, you know, we did that for many, many years. We had an overdraft facility. We would go into overdraft all the time. You're paying about seven and a half percent on that money, which is pretty good. But then the other way, the other thing as well that I'd have to say here is like there's a lot of variables, a lot of factors here. I mean, Obviously, if you're buying an Amazon business, it's like, well, was your company already somewhat established? Like, have you got a history with a traditional lender? And if so, well, then you will you will likely get that line of credit. But I mean, if you've bought an Amazon business and you've no track record whatsoever, you're a brand new company. 
it's going to be a lot more difficult to get a line of credit from a bank. And so I would say, like, it depends on what level you're buying an Amazon business at too, right? I mean, if there's a big difference mm-hmm. between the products that are doing a million a year in revenue and doing a hundred grand a year in revenue. So there's a lot of factors there. It's very hard to, to say because asking for a line of credit of 10 grand is very different to asking for a line of credit of half a million or a hundred thousand. So obviously it, it'll depend on those factors as well. I would always start with that traditional lender simply because the lowest interest rates from anybody else. And really on from there, like, I mean, we offer capital to our members. We've got a thing called superhero capital that we do. We charge a lot more than a traditional lender because we're, we're not a bank. And that works yeah, well for a lot of our members. Than a bank would. Yeah, that's where I would begin. And then from there, really, like, there's lots of other online options. But honestly, I don't have massive experience with a lot of those options like Cabbage and things like that. Some people now when it comes to Amazon as well, they go in and they start utilizing like Amazon specific solutions. Amazon themselves offer some lending and there's lots of other people out there as well. But you need to know your run rates to take that money because that money is a lot more expensive, you know. Yeah, the massive caveat for everybody listening, we're not lawyers and the big caveat is that you must know your ROI on that capital that you're going to get Otherwise, you're putting yourself at huge risk. So there's a big caveat there. So make sure you know your numbers. And we'll, we may even touch on how important reporting and accounting is for e-commerce business if we get to it. I do want to touch on now PPC and marketing mm-hmm. and budgeting for that as well. So let's use very round numbers. Say we go away and we want to, you know, we've got 100K and we want to buy more stock and we also want to market that stock on Amazon PPC. Is there a ratio that you're using that you've seen that's worked well for people? And I know that this can change based on you know mm-hmm. the CPA of a product as well, but what have you seen that would work well for somebody that's just yeah. thinking about purchasing more stock? That's a very difficult question. Some people will come at it from a different point of view. I can only come at it from the point of view, like the experience we have, right? And that is we grow products from scratch and we do buy other people's products that are established. But the the key factor to that really, Jared, is that people have gone through our research methodology and they've uncovered products that are not hyper competitive and there is room, a lot of room in the market to be successful. Yeah. Even without PPC, honestly, like, I mean, I'm not saying that people do not use PPC in our world because that's just not true. They do. But our PPC spend compared to, let's just say, someone who's in a much more hyper competitive space will be very small. Like Ali, one of our partners, we document the growth of his business on our YouTube channel and stuff like that. Uh, He's heading on now last month there. We've been growing this for a little bit over a year now with him. He did like over 70, 80 grand revenue. I was sorry, it was over 80 grand last month revenue. So he's well on track to do his million US a year in revenue run rate. But his PPC spend is tiny. I, I have to get the exact spend now, but it's a couple of grand, a few grand a month. Like it's not like he's investing a massive amount of money. But at a very basic level, you have to look at the A cost, the advertising cost of sales. And so you want to obviously keep that A cost ideally below 30% because most products are going to make 30% of the sales price as your profitability. So if you're selling something for $20, you're looking for what we call a 30% POR, profit on return, which basically is going to mean you're going to make $6 on a $20 sale traditionally. Now, if your advertising cost of sales is any more than 30%, 
you're breaking even or you're losing money every time you make a sale. So obviously there, your your A costs has got to be below 30% on a consistent basis for it to make sense. And it's actually got to be a lot less than 30% over the long term for it to make sense. Because even if it was 20% in the long term, you're now only making 10% on that product now. So if you were selling something for $20, you're not making $6 net profit before tax, you're making two. Now, that's that's okay if your volume is jumping up massively, but these are things you do have to be aware of. The other mistake people make is they try to make their PPC they try to account for PPC at a product level when they're researching or when they're looking at something. In other words, they try to make it a cost of sales. It's not yeah. a cost of sales because it'll change depending on what you yeah, put. It's, a, it's variable. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it depends. But I would just say in our case and the types of products that we sell, our PPC spend is actually very small. But I know that if you buy something that's very competitive, you really need to look at the the PPC spend and the A cost that the the current brand is experiencing because you need to understand what that A cost is because if that's over thirty percent on a consistent basis, you now know that that person's actually breaking even on their Amazon sales and maybe even losing money, and that's an issue for you if you're buying something that's actually potentially even losing money and it may look better than it actually does because it's the BSR is low, the bestseller rank is low, whatever the case may be, and that's the trouble in the hyper competitive spaces. You know, people are kind of chasing yeah. chasing that, you know, and that's a tricky position to be in. So I wouldn't chase. I just don't get into markets like that, basically. But I'm not saying I don't use PPC. I'm just saying it's not like error spend be very low compared to most. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Everybody's in business has their own strategy. And I just think it's very interesting to hear everybody's different strategy because there are people that like, hey, I just want to, I'm happy to make 10% margin yep. or POR just to make sure I can take over the market, get so much more market share on Amazon for my product. And they're the people that are playing a very, very long game and have yes. big, big budgets and can even get down to like just zero profit to win that market over a longer period of time. And if somebody's thinking about that, then they really need to have scaled an Amazon business before. So I do like the method that you, you know, finding a product that isn't in a saturated market or doesn't have that much competition on Amazon because it's a fierce competitive landscape for sure. Now, I wanted to ask about more scaling questions because this is something that a lot of people are going to be interested in for the podcast. Aside from marketing budget, aside from having a winning product and aside from having enough capital to purchase a, a more product, more stock, what would be one other thing that would prevent people from scaling? Yeah, well, it's you're, you're probably not going to like my answer because it's probably going to be a little bit boring for you, but it's the reality. <laughs> and uh, the answer is, you said winning product, and I would just put an S there because, in my opinion, in the, and in the way we run our business, we don't have a winning product. We have multiple products in all of our businesses, and that mm -hmm. is the easiest way to grow faster and and I suppose better, more scalably, whatever. It's just by buying more products and having more products to sell. Yep. If you look at, say, Jay Abraham and his three ways to grow a business, which is a really mm -hmm. great model, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, depending on the business, it's always going to be way number one is sell more products, get more customers. Way number two, increase your average transaction value. Way number three, sell to your existing customers more often. Well, way number three is a bit tricky on Amazon because they're not our customers, they're Amazon's customers. 
So to me, then what we have available to us is get more products into the business so we can start selling to more of those people, increase the average uh, transaction value, so the average sales price over time, sell mm-hmm. things that are more expensive, not saying $100, not saying $50. There's no set amount. It's just like people start out and they try to sell these things that are $13.99 and just takes a long time to... Yeah. That's it. You shouldn't do that now because, again, there could be... It, it, if you look at the research and it makes sense, you should sell that. But actually... You want to have multiple items in your business. And also it's important to understand we, the way we look at it is every product has a bit of a journey. So there's three types of products. The first product, well, not three types, three statuses, I suppose, of a product. The first status is it, we say it's a winner. So a winner is it's doubling its initial investment. So you're getting a hundred percent profit on investment or return on investment. I know we talked about profit on return a second ago. It's actually the exact same amount of money. It's just expressed differently. So profit on investment or return on investment is like, how much did I grow my initial money by? What percentage is that? And then the other thing would be, well, that's how much that is, but how much is that as a percentage of my sales? So that's an easy way to calculate. Well, if I'm doing 10 grand a month or whatever in sales and I'm a 30% POR, I know then I'm making about 3,000 per month before corporate tax, let's just say at a very basic level. And then the profit on investment is just, well, how much did I grow my initial money by? So we always want to grow our money by 100% when we make a sale. So so coming around to what I was talking about there, when we look at it in this way, then, so the winner is the first one then. It's doubling its money. And I would say within a nine to 12 month period of time. And again, that's, if you look at that as an investment, you know, doubling your money in that period of time is a really good investment. We have to look at it in that way. So then it moves to the next status, when it moves into a worker. So a worker is that it's doubling its money, but also it's selling out in less than nine months. So that's great because we're starting to realize our money a lot faster. We're seeing profits come back in a lot more quickly. That's great. And the final thing is a star. The product is selling out. It's doubling its money routinely in three to six months. And that takes time for a product to develop from a winner right through to a star. So if you're buying into the business, you have to look at that as well. Because if you've got items that are selling out within three months, the inventory that you're purchasing, like that's great because you're turning your money faster, but also you're going to need more capital because it's hungry in order to Mm. take the the, the growth of that. Because again, if your run rate's starting to tell you this could sell it in two months now, Obviously, you need to buy more in order to keep it in the stock. And that's the trick. Like when you, everyone wants to scale, but I always say like, be careful what you wish for, because like when you really start to scale a business, it becomes very complex. And I know this because we now run multiple businesses. You know, our companies together do heading on for 20 million a year in, in revenue now. And so that's complicated. Like, and I'm on even me, like people like Robert, my business partner, he's even better than I when it comes to understanding the, the scaling portion of that, because that's a totally different thing to you're just starting out and making money. So anyway, there are the three phases of a product. Yeah, I have to agree. We've got a few members in our mastermind, a few which own Amazon businesses and, and one who just purchased one. And upon purchasing it, he had a previous Amazon business and scaled that one and sold it. And then from buying this new one that he just purchased, he 
put a lot of what he knew from his old business into this new Amazon business Mm -hmm. and started just selling out products and didn't know how quickly they would sell and ran out of stock pretty quick. On the other hand, we have somebody in the group who's doing, you know, 1.5 mil per month and he has been doing this over years and yep. is selling a lot of product but knows his runway knows how much you know if and as he scales his ads and he's then he scales you know his sales and how much he sells he just knows methodically how much more to purchase and then how much more to put into advertising and on different channels as well so yep. it's not something that you can just know straight away until you really understand your numbers right so i i I full wholeheartedly agree with you you know be careful what we wish for in terms of scaling because it presents its old its whole new set of problems and we always say you know they're good problems to have but are they because it creates a lot of stress too yeah exactly and and that's it and it depends what you want from from your business like your business is there to serve you and it's there to serve your lifestyle and even with myself, mm. like as I've gone on and grown different businesses and all of that, like, I mean, the, the really nice thing about our Amazon investments that we have and companies that we control, like, I don't have to do anything in those. They're just happening mm. and people are controlling them. We're, we're making sure we're staying in stock. We're bringing in new items, you know, whereas other businesses that I'm involved in, Marketplace Superheroes, for example, it's a lot more active. You know, I have to be involved a lot more. I'm doing things like this, which I love to do, by the way, which is why I do it. But it's like, yeah. what do you want from this business? Like, do you, if you want to be bringing in a hundred grand a year from this, it pays you a hundred grand a year, and that's where you want to be. Like, you know, you don't need to be doing 1.5 million a month, for example. Like, you know, yes. not to say like you should just, oh, I'm going to stop now. I'm not bringing any new products because that's dangerous territory. I'm just saying like you, you should be clear about what you want from the business first, and then the business serves you. And then go from there. Like, I mean, it really isn't that difficult to get an Amazon business to bring it in like a hundred grand a year for you. Like you, you're talking there about probably doing about 700,000, 800,000 in re- revenue. And then you could, you could certainly be taking that amount of money out pretty easily. Cause obviously yeah. that's the other thing too. When you're, when you're growing an e-commerce business or any business for that matter, like you have to get the engine oiled enough to a degree that it's, it's comfortable for you to be able to take out that money. And if you're taking out money from a business at the expense of growing that business, that's really not a good, it's not a good idea. And I see that happening, Jared. Like I see people coming into our community and they're at a smaller level, like maybe they're just getting going. The minute they start making money, they start drawing money out of the business. And it's like, no, 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 no you can't do that, you know? They don't have the long-term mindset. And I want to touch on mindset in my next question, but I, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Is like, and this is very hard for beginners to understand what they want out of their business, especially for somebody that's like, "Hey, I just want to, I want to get away from my nine to five. Yeah, you know, when you become a bit more settled and you've got a bit of experience as a business owner, then really the the penny drops of like, where can I find fulfillment in my business, and where can I outsource those tasks that I don't like to do and do more of what actually does fill my cup up. Like you, Mm -hmm. you love podcasting. I love podcasting. Mm -hmm. Do I like editing? No, I hate it. I (laughs) actually don't even know how to do it. And the same with you. Like there's so many parts of your business that you you just wouldn't even – 
consider doing and this is another level of a, of a business owner but I think it's great for people that are beginners to start to think about because if they're drawing money out of the business then they can't actually they won't even have anything to pay to outsource those tasks, tasks that they don't want done in the future as well which I think is important is, is having that long-term mindset and talking of mindset again Stephen is when we're starting out, we do have those self-doubts that, that creep in, right? Yeah. And in business, I mean, it's easy to have a great mindset when and be in a good spot when business is going well, yes. let's face it. It's easy. But yeah. what about those times that aren't rolling easily? Like do you mm. sort of help and guide people with mindset in, yeah. in your community? And, and what do you tell them about having a solid mindset and how to deal with those things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I like to call it a mentality. And the reason for that mm -hmm. is because I always say, you know, why would we want a mindset, right? We don't want yeah, to be set. Right? <laughs> and so it's, yeah. but it's, but we all know what mindset means, right? It's like a, it's a word we're all using to describe something good. But I always like mm -hmm. talking to our members about a mentality because then they understand, first of all, well, that can change. And like you said, I fully agree. Like, I mean, yeah, when things are going great, I've got an amazing mindset. Oh, yeah, I'm attracting wealth every day, you know, yeah. of course. And then things start getting tough, like, you know, and I've had loads of challenges, like, over our business career. And still, even now, different types of challenges, you know. Thankfully, money is not an issue. Like, I mean, when I started out, Rob and I started out, we put everything we had into our business. We had to make work because of the way things were. Like, we had warehouses, staff, and all this kind of stuff. We had to get rid of a lot of those things initially only to build them back over the years in a much better way. But like the big thing I tell people, if you're going through a tough time, first of all is you've got to live in what's called day tight quarters or day tight compartments. So like, don't think too far into the future, focus on now, focus on today. And then when you take care of today, tomorrow will take care of itself and time in the future will take care of itself. Not to say you shouldn't have any, like goals or anything like that definitely not but it's like if you're always living in the future you're never really going to do anything and if you're living in the past well the past has already been and gone so there's nothing we can do about that so really the only power we have is in right now and that we can make choices and decisions that benefit us right now so that's the first thing i would do if you're going through a tough time on from that then and this is something that you got to be careful of like if you invest your own self-worth your own happiness in sales for example well you are going to go on a roller coaster of emotions and i know this because i've done it like i have defined my own sense of self-worth based upon how well the company's doing and so that mm -hmm. means then you can feel feel great whenever you know sales are going well things are going amazing and you're going to feel awful when things are going badly because you're going to judge yourself. You're going to say you're useless. You're no good. I, I can't believe I ever thought I was going to be successful doing this and all the rest. Whereas what you have to understand is like, it's just numbers. It's just pure numbers. And there's no emotion in numbers whatsoever. And Robert, my business partner, is brilliant at this. And I've, I've learned that from him over the years. So we've got to start looking at the numbers then and looking at, well, what is causing the numbers to be where they are right now? And we have to try to find the, the causation so that we can actually take steps today to make changes that are going to then manifest themselves in better numbers over the next few weeks, months, whatever. So that's really important. I think then as well, really just taking that full responsibility for everything is really vital. 
because there's things even now I could be doing in my business that I know will benefit me. But honestly, I'm just not prepared right now to do that stuff. And that's okay. If I'm not prepared to do it, then I shouldn't also expect to get the results from having not done that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so you have to understand it is all your responsibility. Does that mean as time goes on, you have to do everything? Definitely not. Because part of being your responsibility as time goes on is when you are outsourcing things, it's like, well, if you know that thing needs to happen, but you're not the one who's going to do it, then it's up to you to take the responsibility to go and find someone who is going to go and do that. So there are some of the things I, w- I would initially start with. And then really on from there, uh, a lot of this is just looking at why is this happening? What can I change? Why is this happening? What can I change? And as time goes on, you'll get better and better at those things. One of the big things I do see is just like people don't keep their finger on the pulse as time goes on. So, you know, they're not they're not checking their run rates to see where they are now. And from that perspective, they're not looking at the business uh, future cash flow projecting out. These are all things you could do now that would help you down the line. So I think that's where most problems stem from. It's very rare that like you're just so unlucky that just, you know, all factors conspire against you and there's absolutely nothing you can do. Almost all the time there's stuff you can do. Even in our community, people come and say, oh, my product's not working or whatever. It's not doing what I want it to do. And then I'm like, okay, so give me the numbers. Like how many sessions did you have last month? What's your conversion rate right now? All of that. And it's like, oh, I don't know. It's like, so... You're complaining, but you haven't actually looked into what's causing this to be a problem. And therefore, they're the people I know, unless they make a change, they're not going to be successful. Most successful people in the world take responsibility for everything. And a thing you can say to yourself is, what am I pretending not to know right now? Mm. That's a really powerful question because... You know, so many things we pretend not to know, like I'm eating crappy food today. Well, I'm pretending not to know that if I keep doing that, I'm going to end up with a bad illness in the future or whatever the case may be. So there's just a few thoughts. Yeah, it's great. It really does come back to responsibility. And I think, you know, pretending what to, you know, to not know something is is important to understand that we do this by default at times. And yeah. I, I really like to tell people to have space and give themselves space to be able to just think about their business and and look over it as a whole and see what is working what's not working and and tighten up some a few things and discard things and you know prune and ask questions how can i do this better or how can i de-risk that part of my business so this thing won't happen and i think the mindset or the mentality of people like just it's going good it's just going to keep going good that's where things start to slip up because we're not in the constant state of preparation for what may happen in the future. And I think mm. that doesn't really get talked about or, or people don't emphasize that enough. Yeah. So, Stephen, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Where can we send people to find out more about you and Marketplace Superheroes? Yeah, so with Marketplace Superheroes, the couple of spots, the first place I'd recommend is obviously going to marketplacesuperheroes.com. You can put in forward slash gift, G-I-F-T, and that'll actually bring you to just a little seven-day training that we have, which you can definitely check out if you're interested in how we go about selling on Amazon. And the second place is just YouTube. We really put a lot of effort into our YouTube channel. Uh, we're very, very happy with it. We feel it's really good, of course. We, we put a lot of effort into that. So go over to YouTube and just uh, search Marketplace Superheroes, and you'll see we're putting out two videos every single week. We put a lot of effort into that. 
I suppose the final thing is, seeing as we're on a podcast here, uh, we've our own podcast called The Superhero Lifestyle Show. And uh, feel free to check that out, have a listen, and hopefully you'll get lots of value. Hey, YouTube watcher, if you thought that video is good, you should check out this video here on the two best types of websites beginners should buy. Or check out my playlist on how I made my first 100K from buying websites and how to do due diligence. Check it out. It's an awesome playlist.